Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, wrote and said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave him and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, <clears throat> to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, give us wisdom in the scriptures, guide us and direct us, speak to us this day from your word and help us to understand what you have said to us and apply it to our hearts and minds and our lives, Lord, we pray. Guide us and direct us. And we just pray, Lord, you bless us this day in your word. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations, the thoughts of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 4, we went over the first three verses where Paul talks about that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And we notice here we're not told to create that. We're told to keep it. That's something God gives us. It's the unity of the spirit. It's brought about by the Holy Spirit. That's not done by man's efforts. That is, it's not brought into existence by something we do, but we are to guard it when it says in yeah, verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That word keep means to guard. You know, if you have something that's valuable and you know there's things that are people that might want to destroy it uh, or steal it, well, you know, we lock things up. Sometimes if you have a business, you hire guards to guard it. If it's a military situation, you definitely have someone on guard because you don't want it ruined. And so we're told to keep or guard the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And we need to study this. We need to know exactly what this means because, you know, if you were asked... Uh, to guard something and you didn't know what it was you're supposed to guard, it'd be pretty hard to guard it, wouldn't it? Somebody say, we need you to, to guard that kabalubala. Okay, you, you pardon me for speaking in tongues there. Uh, 
you go, I have no idea what it is. Well, you need to get over there and guard that. You know, you go, I have no idea what you want me to do. If you're not sure what the unity of the spirit is, it's going to be pretty hard to guard it. So you need to study that. We need to study peace. There's nothing wrong with that. Lord, what would you have me to do? What does this mean? The unity of your spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit brings it about. So we start talking about the Holy Spirit. We think of Christ's gift to us, as Paul actually goes on and says a little farther here and elsewhere in Scripture. But we start thinking in terms of the fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit actually in the, in the Scripture. It's singular. The fruit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, uh, meekness, etc. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about that. He says there's no, no law that forbids any of those things. So we need to study this. And that's what he's telling us. We must endeavor. And the word endeavor means giving diligence, diligently endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then he tells us this, this unity manifests itself in some very, really beautiful ways. Reminds them there's one body. There's no room for division among true Christians. He's talking here about the, the body of Christ, the spiritual body of true believers. Uh, there have been divisions in the church, and sometimes they were necessary. It says in 2 Corinthians, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Paul tells uh, Timothy that there would, in the last days there would be those who would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, meaning, you know, because the gospel, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And so when he says that they would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, meaning there'd be some who would profess to be Christians, but they deny the gospel. And he says, from such turn away. So there is a time for separation, but this is not what he's talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. There's a time also to maintain unity in truth. The basis for unity is truth. And we're going to see that as this goes on when he talks about um, as we grow into the unity of the faith. That's something we don't have yet fully as we ought to. And so we're to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're to protect it. We're to guard it. Uh, we're to separate from evil personally by our personal repentance. And ecclesiastically, we're not to join with groups or be involved with uh, unbelievers. As Paul says, you know, what fellowship does Christ have with Belial, or what what fellowship does the God's church have with the, the you know the pagan temples or the temple of Belial? So we are to walk circumspectly, meaning wisely, and we are to be careful how we walk and with whom we associate. But he says there's one body. So the the true body of Christ, and we talked about this before, that spiritual unity that we have with all our brothers and sisters. You know, some say, well, what about denominations? You know, somebody say, we should do away with all the denominations. Like, I don't know, you know, in our military, we have Navy, we have Air Force, we have uh, Marines, we have Coast Guard, um, we have the Army, we have all those. And some say, we should do away with all those distinctions. I think you'd find some objections coming from a lot of the soldiers and their officers. Like, no, those divisions are necessary. You have Navy on the sea, you have the Air Force in the air, you have the Army on the land and on the sea and on the air, but, and you have the Marines <laughs> basically doing whatever they can wherever they're sent. Uh, those divisions we wouldn't say are wrong. And so sometimes when people get worked up over denominational differences, it's not always wise. I think the way to look at it providentially is that God raises up different groups of his people sometimes for different things. Some denominations are very missionary-minded. Others are very doctrinally-minded. And as long as they don't go too far 
in becoming doctrinal without any missionary work or missionary with the compromising the truth. Sometimes those differences are important and they're not always wrong. So my point is, if you're really part of the body of Christ, we're all on the same side. If they're preaching and believing the gospel, just like in a war, you know, if you have a Marine shows up among the army or a Navy fellow, nobody throws him out or says, oh, he's part of the enemy. They say, hey, we're all on the same side. We need to have that view and not make divisions where the, where the Lord hasn't. But sometimes when people think like, well, our group is the only true church. Well, that's a denial of scripture. OK, that we would speak up about. But there's one body. There's one Holy Spirit. When someone's born again, it's not a different spirit in them. And if it is a different spirit, then something's really wrong. There's only one spirit. So he's telling them, here's the basis of this unity. Uh, there's one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And that hope of our calling is eternal life in Jesus Christ through his precious blood, as we just sang a few minutes ago, uh, and trusting God for that. We have one hope, and that is eternal life, heaven through Christ. We have eternal life in a new heavens and a new earth. One Lord, remember the great Shema of, well, it's called that, the hero Israel. In Hebrew, it's called the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we need to confess that also. There's only one Lord. There's not a different Jesus. If somebody comes along, you know, I know sometimes when I talk to people about the sovereignty of God and election, I've actually had people say to me, and I've mentioned this before, uh, I've actually had them say like, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. And I'm like, well, your Jesus doesn't exist because the real Jesus does do things that everything the Bible says he's going to do and has done. You know, you can't make your own Jesus. There's one Lord, one faith, super important in this quest for unity in guarding it. We need to recognize there's one faith. When someone comes along and says, I've got a new revelation from God. Like, really? I don't think so. Okay, because Jude talks about that faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. We're going to look at that in just a moment. One baptism. You don't get baptized in the name of Paul. You don't get baptized in the name of Grace Presbyterian Church. You don't get baptized in the name of the Pope. You're baptized if biblically in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You have somebody say, oh, you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus because in Acts, that's what, it, no, they commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You know, like I told one fellow that was pushing that doctrine, you, know, you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. I said, no, I said, you know, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Jesus said, when you baptize, you're to baptize into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's upon the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're going to do it in Jesus's name, you better do it the way he said to do it. And in Acts, it doesn't give you what was said when they were baptized. It just tells you that they were baptized upon or in on the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one Christian baptism. OK, now some would say, well, when they say, but don't we make a distinction between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and water baptism? Well, you know, there's only one Lord Jesus Christ that was crucified at Calvary's cross. If we fall into idolatry and we say that the Lord's Supper is a re-sacrificing of Jesus, like in the, the Roman Catholic Mass, that the priest is offering a bloodless sacrifice because through the magic, well, they don't use that word, but that's what they're saying, really. Through the magic of transubstantiation, when the priest consecrates the bread and wine, it really becomes the physical body and blood of Jesus so that you actually get to cannibalize the Lord and, and eat his real flesh and eat his and drink his real blood. 
we've just turned the Lord's table into an abomination and an idolatrous feast. Uh, Christ is, now, and the reality is that the Holy Spirit is given to us, and when you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption, as Paul said in chapter 1 here of Ephesians. There's only one baptism. So if someone wants to run around baptizing their own name or something, we reject that. And we don't baptize someone into the church. We baptize them into the tri- name of the triune God. One God and Father of all. So he says, stay focused. Yeah, that's why I love you. Know, I, call it, I don't call it that. That's what it's called. But the first word, here, O Israel, here in Hebrew is Shema. That's why it's called. That's what the, the Jewish people call that. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, or your, all your soul and all your strength. You know what that means? That because God is one, you don't have to be worrying about satisfying all these little lesser deities, okay? You know, people that are into idolatry. Well, I don't know if I, do I need to offer a sacrifice to this God here? Maybe to this God over here. Maybe this one's angry at me and that's why you know, I'm having trouble with my, my crops. Or maybe maybe this this uh, lesser, this this God of the Roman Greco world is angry at me and that's why people are mad at me, etc. So they're running around. To the point where God, and when Paul was in Athens, as you know, in Acts, he saw the altar and said uh, to Theo, to the unknown God. And he told him, he said, that's the God I want to talk to you about. You know, when he was at Mars Hill and he told him, there's a God you don't know. And he's the one true God. Because God is one, we can be focused on him. We don't have to be fragmented in our hearts, in our minds, in our worship, in our adoration. We shall serve the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. There's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That is, he's absolutely sovereign, supreme. He's transcendent, and he is imminent. Right? He is not part of the creation, yet he's everywhere present. Okay, why? He's a different sort of being than we are. But then he reminds him of the unity and how it manifests itself. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, Jesus is a, a wonderful giver, isn't he? And he says, God, these, these foundational truths are, are absolutely vital. They're foundational. We need to realize, though, that each one of us has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. That means it's eternal, it's infinite, and it's beautiful. It's all by grace. That's what he says Grace was given to us, that God's favor, according to the gift of Christ. And he says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Our Savior, after he had conquered death, conquered sin, conquered the world, destroyed Satan. We're just experiencing the outworking of that right now. Christ has ascended on high victoriously. Psalm 110 says, the Father said to the Son, the Lord has said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. And we, we read that uh, in 1 Corinthians where Paul quotes it in chapter 15. Let's us know Christ is reigning until his enemies are subdued under his feet. He is reigning now. He has ascended on high. He led captivity captive. That is, he took prisoner, anything that could hurt us. And he gave gifts to men. And then Paul adds, now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And so some say, well, what's that talking about? You know, in the Middle Ages, they said, oh, that maybe has to do with some descent into hell or something. You know, we say in the the, uh, creed, did he descended into hell? So is that what we're talking about? And I would tell you the answer is no. 
If you want to turn to Psalm uh, 139, we can get the biblical answer. What was Paul referring to? In Psalm 139, as David is writing, I want you to notice what he says. Uh, he says in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. Here he's just talking about how gracious God has been to him. He's talking about you formed my inward parts. He's talking about when he was in his mother's womb. As he says, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Now note verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought, that is put together, where? In the lowest parts of the earth. He's talking about growing in his mother's womb. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Note, man, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me. When as yet, there were none of them. By the way, God ordained all your days. So this day he ordained for you and all the rest of your life here on earth. The point is the phrase, the lower parts of the earth, I believe pretty plainly. <clears throat> When Paul talks about this, he's talking about Christ becoming everything he needed to be. He ascended. What does that mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Christ was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and became a true man. I believe clearly that's what Paul is talking about. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is a, a wonderful truth. Christ has ascended above all the heavens. He has transcended heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. If someone says, where is that? It's heaven. It's, it seems it's dimensional. I don't know. When Jesus comes back, you can ask him. But right now he is in heaven, in the highest heavens, and he is at the Father's right hand. He's talking about Christ is exalted, and yet he's not removed from us because the Holy Spirit is in heaven. He is with our Lord Jesus Christ as to even his humanity, his, his body. Uh, he's raised up, incorruptible, and at the Father's right hand. And the Holy Spirit is here on earth. And Christ governs and rules his church by his Holy Spirit and his word. <clears throat> so then he names the gifts that he gave. <clears throat> and he says he gave some to be apostles. So God raised up apostles. We read about them in the New Testament. And prophets. And some evangelists. And some pastors and teachers. Now three of those we believe are, are temporary, were temporary offices in the church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 20, you can just flip a page probably or look right at it. <clears throat> he says in what, verse 19, chapter 2, 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's right talking to the Gentiles saying, <clears throat> you're now part of the true Israel. And have been built, note, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The church was founded on Christ. He's the foundational cornerstone. And then on the apostles and prophets. So people today claiming to be apostles and prophets are liars. Now, if they say, well, they don't mean it in the strict sense. Apostle means one sense. So in that sense, a missionary. 
Well, okay, but that's generally what not the neo-apostolic movement is really trying to say. They're trying to say they have the authority of the apostles. Uh, they're above you lowly Christians with your Bibles. They, they get direct from God, so they say. They're false teachers. They're false apostles. Uh, in the book of Acts, when Peter spoke, <clears throat> and they knew they had to replace Judas because he'd fallen, they knew there were supposed to be 12 apostles. And so... Uh, they stood up, it says in verse 15 of Acts chapter 1, Peter stood up and began to speak, and they talk about Judas falling, and he quotes Psalm 20, where it says, it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Now that refers to Judas Iscariot there. And so then Peter says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, so Peter says, in order to, to be a, a, a in the twelve to be a, considered a true apostle, you had to be around since the baptism of John. So anybody that claims to be an apostle today is going to have to be pretty old. Also, our Lord Jesus Christ warned repeatedly about false Christ uh, and the, the signs and wonders that they would be doing. If you turn to Matt, or Matthew chapter 24, I want to take a couple of minutes to deal with this because uh, we'll see why this will hopefully develop in it as we look at some of these texts. In Matthew chapter 24, uh, <clears throat> Christ warns about tribulation that was coming on Judea at the time when Jerusalem was to be destroyed. But there's great application to be made in this. And he warned him in verse 23, he says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Now the word Christ is Greek, Christos. It means anointed. And that's the time you hear these folks saying, oh, uh, you know, our, our pastor, he's an apostle. He's, he's really anointed. He's the Lord's anointed for us, you know. But really, he's Christ? Because that's what that means. That's what you're saying when you say someone is uniquely anointed. Now, all Christians have an anointing. The scripture talks about that, okay? Uh, John talks about it in 1 John chapter 5. You have an anointing from the Holy One, but you don't run around and say you're Christ. But Jesus warns. He says, if they say he's here, he's there, don't believe it. Then he tells them what? In verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets, note this, will rise and will do what? And show great signs and wonders <clears throat> to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So he says there's going to be false Christ and false prophets. And if it were possible, and it's not by God's spirit and his word and his grace, they would deceive even the very elect. In other words, these, these people are going to be so good, they'll be able to fool even the elect. They could fool even the elect, uh, but they won't be able to. Now, I believe the elect can be fooled for a little while. But these fellows are going to be good, these false teachers. And this is warned all throughout Scripture. And Jude, I referred to it earlier, in the book of Jude, next to the last book of the New Testament. Jude warns, he says in verse 3, <clears throat> Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning your common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly, note, 
for the faith which was once and once for all, we would say probably once and for all in California in English, but the Greek word there is hapax, it means one time, it's not an ongoing thing. But the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Note that the revelation of the gospel is not an ongoing through the centuries, fresh revelations, new doctrines, etc. It's a faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. It's the faith that's founded upon the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, that is the scriptures of the New Testament and of the Old. But then he warns, he says, why? This was the reason. So Jude said, I wanted to write to you about how great our salvation is concerning our common salvation. You know, this the joy of being saved and walking with the Lord and knowing the forgiveness of sins. He says, it became necessary, though, for me to change my plan. And I have to write to you now to warn you so you'll be safe. This is that guarding the unity of the spirit. He says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, crept in where? Into the churches, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. God's not surprised by this. Ungodly men, no, what do they do? Who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, that's the sovereign Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turn the grace of God into lewdness. They come and they say, oh, you know, Jesus loves you. You can. It's okay if you sin. You know, you can go ahead and, you know, indulge in substance abuse. You can be immoral. It's okay because Jesus died for your sins. Jude says, these are the guys you have to watch out for. If they're not standing, the Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I'm not talking about Phariseeism when I say holiness. I'm talking about practical Christian living, living in love toward others and turning away from things that are displeasing to God. So he says, certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They can be known. That's the idea. In Second uh, Peter, Peter says in Second uh, Peter chapter two, it's very similar, by the way, to Jude. But there were also false prophets among the people. We just read about that in Jeremiah. It was a real problem in Israel. You had people telling people what they wanted to hear. You know, if you were a, a, a member of the tribe of Judah, you were living in Judea at the time of the Babylonian captivity. There had already been a first taking away of all the carpenters and all the skilled people. That's when Daniel went away, okay? Uh, and they took those. That was somewhat peaceable. The city was taken, but they didn't go in and slaughter everyone. They just took all the, uh, you might say, the, the educated people away. And they left the, you know, guys like me behind. <laughs> and uh, uh, Jeremiah preached and told them that they're going to come and take all of you away if you don't repent uh, as he preached. And the problem was what? False prophets going, oh no, that's not true. You don't have to believe those harsh doctrines about God being all just and going to send judgment. And Jeremiah, we've read just what he had to say, what God had to say to them. Peter's doing the same thing here. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Note that. This is certain. There's going to be false teachers in the church. So you've got to prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Anything I say, you get your Bibles open. You check it out and see if it's true. If it is, receive it. If it's not, just figure what it is. Okay. But there will be false teachers among you. That doesn't mean every teacher is. It's not a false teacher is infallible. It just means there's going to be people who are actually going to be bringing in damnable doctrines. Uh, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly, note that, bring in destructive heresies. 
They don't teach their, their lies openly at first. They get little followings and they start telling, oh, well, you know, yeah, that's what about that? Oh, it's okay, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord. And that the Greek word there is despotes, means a sovereign Lord, who bought them. I mean, Christ owns them. Okay? It doesn't mean that they're necessarily redeemed. And bring on themselves swift destruction. Then note this, what follows. And many will follow their destructive ways. They're going to have a huge followings. By the way, we see this going on in our own city. Okay, you know, uh, you, you know, people claiming to be apostles and claiming to be able to do signs and wonders and miracles, and yet they closed down when COVID hit. You know, and it, it just, they're lying to people. They're bilking the rubes that follow them. It's not the first time this has gone on for centuries, all the way back to Peter warning it. Because note what he says. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed because they teach against God's sovereignty. They don't want to hear that. They basically deny the gospel. And, uh, and it's not just, you know, the church up the road here. This is a common problem. But note what it says here. This isn't something that's optional for you to, well, I, don't, I choose not to believe that. It's in the Bible. We don't have the choice to reject this. We have to recognize we live in a world where in the visible churches, there will be false teachers. Peter's warning this. He's saying there will be. It's future tense from his time, but it's not future from us. We live in the midst of this. By whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. People say, oh, I'm not interested in hearing about Jesus. I know people that were Christians that you know weren't very nice or whatever. And then nobody he's talking about these false teachers. Nobody says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Uh, the old King James talks about they will make merchandise of you. They're going to get, you know, they're interested in, not your heart, they're interested in your wallet, all right? Um, and they're going to have all the money they could ever want. We see this. We see these false teachers and preachers today. This warning is in multiple other places. Paul even warned in Acts 20, that within the midst of the church, there would be elders that would go, go astray. But know what, as he, uh, in Acts chapter 20, this all relates to Ephesians 4, beloved. Uh, I'll get back to that. I, I haven't forgotten. In Acts chapter 20, uh, we read there in verse 17, from Miletus, this is Paul now, he's heading toward Jerusalem. Uh, it says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Okay, those are the officers of the church. The Greek word for elders is presbyteroi. It's actually where we get the word presbyter and where we get the term Presbyterian. Okay, because the churches were governed by elders or presbyters. All right. So he called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, and he begins to speak. We're going to jump down a little bit uh, for the subject we're looking at today. Paul says in verse 22, he said to them, uh, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await, await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Okay, that's what he preached. Now, down in verse 28, he tells the elders, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The word overseers is episcopoi, meaning uh, we get the word episcopal or bishops. So elders and bishops, it's the same office, different function looking at it. We're to look out for the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Shepherds feed and protect. That's what they're supposed to do, which he purchased with his own blood. Then he warns, for this I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. That's the epistle we're studying. And he tells them, there's going to be men coming among you that are not going to spare the flock. They're going to rip the church and try to rip the church to pieces. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, meaning from within the body of the church. It's ordained ministry. Among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And then he concludes by saying, or begins to conclude, he says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Because these guys come in with their gospel of works or ceremonies, whether it's circumcision or some kind of weird thing they come up with. Paul says, I'm commending you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up uh, and give you an inheritance among the saints. And then he goes on. But we see the warning is, is clear all through scripture that we have to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. So we come back here to this passage in Ephesians 4. And then quickly, he tells us that he gave us these offices, apostles and prophets, evangelists, those that give the word out, um, and then pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of their ministry. Why do we teach the word? So that you'll know stuff and be able to function, okay? Uh, for the edifying of the body of Christ so that the church is built up till we all come to the unity of the faith. How come we haven't seen, why is it that we don't all agree? When you find Christians, they just don't agree. Well, a lot of it has to do with, one, our own hearts. We're, we're dull in our listening and reading of God's word. But a lot of it has to do with unqualified men in the ministry. When he says he gave some to be pastors and teachers, if you have men that have not been called of God, but that are, you know, teaching false doctrines or, you know, going because like the prophets, you know, the Lord says, I didn't send them. That's what we've seen. We've seen so many unqualified. And these are the guys that open the gates for false doctrine and all this weird immorality that's come into the churches today. So when we have men that are called of God and qualified academically, morally and spiritually, then the church grows. And those are the men that teach God's word. They equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of of the Son of God. See, it's all about Jesus, learning about who he is. To a perfect man, mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. In other words, these false prophets aren't going to get anywhere with you guys because you're reading your Bibles. You're listening. You're being taught. You're taking what you hear your pastors and teachers say and you're doing the work of a Berean. You're searching the scriptures to see whether or not it's so. When they did that in Berea, it says, and many of them believe because they checked out what Paul was saying in Silas. I said, yeah, it's the truth. That's what you're to do. When it is true, you're to receive it. So that we're not tossed to and fro. That these false prophets can't find an inroad among you. But speaking the truth, remember John 17, 17, thy word is truth. 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, talking about the body of Christ, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Let's talk about us. We're the, you're the joint, so am I. What every part of the body supplies. So we need each other spiritually in order to grow. I can't just go, ah, I don't need that person. You know, yeah, he's a Christian, but, you know, I don't like the car he drives or something like that. Um, we need to be in fellowship. We need to be praying for each other. And we need to recognize this is an important point. It's hard to get a hold of sometimes. My spiritual growth depends on your spiritual growth and vice versa. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. You benefit when you do that. When you pray for your brothers and sisters in your church and in the greater body of Christ throughout the world, you benefit from that because every member has something to offer. Every person here has gifts and graces that God has given to them. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's a smile. Sometimes it's a project God puts on their heart. Sometimes it's hospitality. Sometimes it's just a smile. But whatever it is, every member has something to contribute. And Paul's saying that from what every joint supplies, in whom the whole body joined and knit together, that's neat, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And we, he adds that at the end, in love. So we learn, you know, this is, this is to be done with us loving each other and trusting the Lord and having good opinions of each other as much as we can. And just being really there for each other as friends and brothers and sisters. It's really a beautiful thing. And, and God has called us to something that's awesomely beautiful. And he's bringing this about through the work of the ministry, through his word and his spirit working in us. And everyone here has something to offer. You say, well, I don't, I don't know what it is. Well, start with prayer. Okay. Your brothers and sisters need prayer. I need your prayers. There's not a person in this room that does not need you praying for them. So I, I was really encouraged. I had a brother tell me, Last week, he took that to heart and you know, recognized, yeah, the people in our church, we, we should be praying for them. So, uh, you know, I took that to heart after he said it even more. It's like, yeah, I need to do that more myself, not just tell people to do that. I need to do it more. But we all need to be praying. So may God give us faith because we're growing into this unity of the faith as we go to God's word, as it's taught and uh, preached faithfully and received by believing hearts. It's a beautiful thing God's doing, and it's wonderful that he lets us be part of it. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to work in our hearts and minds and bring this about with what your word speaks of. Forgive us where we've gotten in the way of your spirit working, where we've grieved your spirit, either by attitudes or words or actions, Lord. Give us true repentance from our sins and help us to really love you and to love our brothers and sisters. And we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand the truth of your word, that, that faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, and that we would be kept safe from false teachers and false apostles and prophets and any that would seek to corrupt your word and corrupt your people. Help us to stand fast upon the foundation, Lord, of your word and be with us, Lord Jesus. Be glorified in our lives. So we ask this, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.